the Bible. From America's colonial period to her rise to become the richest, most powerful nation in history, the ideas and values that guide us, protect us, and hold our society together flow from the pages of this book of books. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. Our founding documents affirm and build on the scriptural concepts of God-given, not state-granted rights, and of liberty under law. The biblical worldview shaped our work ethic, made education a priority, and birthed the notion of finite, limited government under divine authority. One nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. The pilgrims, the Puritans, the founding fathers and American leaders throughout our history have emphasized the Bible's importance to America. The first and almost the only book worthy of universal attention is the Bible. John Quincy Adams. But for the book, we cannot know right from wrong. All the things desirable to man are contained in it. Abraham Lincoln. The foundations of our society and our government rest so much on the teachings of the Bible that it would be difficult to support them if faith in these teachings would cease to be practically universal in our country. Calvin Coolidge. The Bible Live is your opportunity to listen to the Bible, a 15 to 20 minute reading every weeknight. The entire Bible every year. Now, here's the host of the Bible Live. Your Apache Indian scout on this annual excursion through the word. Soapy Dollar. And here we are. Thank you everyone for joining us tonight for this edition of the Bible Live Broadcast. We're going to be picking up in the book of Nehemiah, also written by Ezra, this scholar totally committed to the message of the scriptures. From the time of the exile in 586 B.C., About 40 years later, the first group came back, about 50,000 people, and then two other groups came back under the leadership of Zerubbabel and Ezra. And now we're reading about the group that came back under the leadership of Nehemiah. Remember, these are people who are born outside of Israel itself, born in exile over in Babylon. So they had to be reminded of who they are, their heritage of faith, their covenant relationship with God. They had to be reminded of all of their history. That's what the books of Chronicles were about under Ezra, and then the books of Ezra and Nehemiah, on all of this, you're going to see this constant reminding, not only through storytelling, but also through their genealogies, going back and connecting them to that birthright they have of hearing about the true and living God. I'll tell you a little bit more specifically about this man named Nehemiah and the story that we are reading tonight as they try to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Right now, though, let's go to our Wisdom and Worship segment, Psalm 92. Be thankful and faithful to the Lord. Every day. Psalm 92. It is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to the Most High. It is good to proclaim your unfailing love in the morning, your faithfulness in the evening, accompanied by the harp and lute and the harmony of the lyre. You thrill me, Lord, with all you have done for me. I sing for joy because of what you have done. O Lord, what great miracles you do, and how deep are your thoughts. Only an ignorant person would not know this. Only a fool would not understand it. Although the wicked flourish like weeds and evildoers blossom with success, there is only eternal destruction ahead of them. But you are exalted in the heavens. 
You, O Lord, continue forever. Your enemies, Lord, will surely perish. All evildoers will be scattered. But you have made me as strong as a wild bull. How refreshed I am by your power. With my own eyes I have seen the downfall of my enemies. With my own ears I have heard the defeat of my wicked opponents. But the godly will flourish like palm trees and grow strong like the cedars of Lebanon. For they are transplanted into the Lord's own house. They flourish in the courts of our God. Even in old age they will still produce fruit. They will remain vital and green. They will declare, The Lord is just. He is my rock. There is nothing but goodness in Him. End of reading, Psalm 92. You're listening to The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. Wherever we're looking in the Bible, Old or New Testament, it's all about God's love for humanity. The entire Bible is about His love and that provision that He is making for us to be reconciled to Him personally. Now, we have Nehemiah. Uh, and the people of Israel coming back now from these years of exile. Remember, though, that one of the reasons for that is that God is carrying out this work of redemption. We can learn so many lessons about God and about His ways as we observe Him dealing with this people group, these men and women. But mainly as well, we see God is putting the pieces together and positioning the pieces on the board for Him to continue to bring about His redemptive plan. Remember, the Messiah has to be born in Bethlehem, there in Israel. So now they are coming back to rebuild the walls around Jerusalem. Nehemiah 3, one through 7.3 Nehemiah 3 Then Eliashib the high priest and the other priests started to rebuild at the Sheep Gate. They dedicated it and set up its doors, building the wall as far as the Tower of the Hundred, which they dedicated, and the Tower of Hananel. People from the city of Jericho worked next to them, and beyond them was Zakur, son of Imri. The fish gate was built by the sons of Hasinaah. They did the whole thing, laid the beams, hung the doors, and put the bolts and bars in place. Merimoth, son of Uriah, and grandson of Hakoz, repaired the next section of the wall. Beside him were Meshulam, son of Berechiah, and grandson of Meshezabel, and then Zadok, son of Baana. Next were the people from Tekoa, though their leaders refused to help. The old city gate was repaired by Joiada, son of Paseah, and Meshulam, son of Besodeiah. They laid the beams, set up the doors, and installed the bolts and bars. Next to them were Melatiah from Gibeon, Jadon from Meronoth, and people from Gibeon and Mizpah the headquarters of the governor of the province west of the Euphrates River. Next was Uziel, son of Harhaiah, a goldsmith by trade, who also worked on the wall. Beyond him was Hananiah, a manufacturer of perfumes. They left out a section of Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. Rephaiah, son of Hur, the leader of half the district of Jerusalem, was next to them on the wall. Next, Jediah, son of Harumoth, repaired the wall beside his own house. And next to him was Hattush, son of Hashebnaiah. Then came Malkijah, son of Harim, and Hashub, son of Pahath Moab, who repaired the tower of the ovens. 
in addition to another section of the wall. Shalom, son of Halohesh, and his daughters repaired the next section. He was the leader of the other half of the district of Jerusalem. The people from Zanoah, led by Hanun, rebuilt the valley gate, hung its doors, and installed the bolts and bars. They also repaired the 1,500 feet of wall to the dung gate. The dung gate was repaired by Malkijah, son of Rechab, the leader of the Beth HaKarim district. After rebuilding it, he hung the doors and installed the bolts and bars. Shalom, son of Kol Hosea, the leader of the Mizpah district, repaired the fountain gate. He rebuilt it, roofed it, hung its doors, and installed its bolts and bars. Then he repaired the wall of the pool of Siloam near the king's garden, and he rebuilt the wall as far as the stairs that descend from the city of David. Next to him was Nehemiah, son of Azbuk, the leader of half the district of Bethzur. He rebuilt the wall to a place opposite the royal cemetery, as far as the water reservoir and the house of the warriors. Next was a group of Levites working under the supervision of Rehum, son of Bani. Then came Hashabiah, the leader of half the district of Keilah, who supervised the building of the wall on behalf of his own district. Next down the line were his countrymen, led by Benui, son of Henadad, the leader of the other half of the district of Keilah. Next to them, Ezer, son of Jeshua, the leader of Mizpah, repaired another section of wall opposite the armory by the buttress. Next to him was Baruch, son of Zabai, who repaired an additional section from the buttress to the door of the home of Eliashib, the high priest. Merimoth, son of Uriah, and grandson of Hakoz, rebuilt another section of the wall extending from a point opposite the door of Eliashib's house to the side of the house. Then came the priest from the surrounding region. After them, Benjamin, Hashub, and Azariah, son of Maaseiah and grandson of Ananiah, repaired the sections next to their own houses. Next was Benui, son of Henadad, who rebuilt another section of the wall from Azariah's house to the buttress and the corner. Palal, son of Uzai, carried on the work from a point opposite the buttress and the corner to the upper tower that projects from the king's house beside the court of the guard. Next to him were Pedaiah, son of Parosh, and the temple servants living on the hill of Ophel, who repaired the wall as far as the water gate toward the east and the projecting tower. Then came the people of Tekoa, who repaired another section opposite the great projecting tower and over to the wall of Ophel. The priests repaired the wall up the hill from the horse gate, each one doing the section immediately opposite his own house. Next, Zadok, son of Emer, also rebuilt the wall next to his own house. And beyond him was Shemaiah, son of Shechaniah, the gatekeeper of the east gate. Next, Hananiah, son of Shelemiah, and Hanun, the sixth son of Zalaf, repaired another section, while Meshulam, son of Berechiah, rebuilt the wall next to his own house. Malkijah, one of the goldsmiths, repaired the wall as far as the housing for the temple servants and merchants, opposite the inspection gate. Then he continued as far as the upper room at the corner. The other goldsmiths and merchants repaired the wall from that corner to the sheep gate. You're listening to The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. Nehemiah 4 Sanballat was very angry when he learned that we were rebuilding the wall. He flew into a rage and mocked the Jews, saying in front of his friends and the Sumerian army officers, What does this bunch of poor, feeble Jews think they are doing? Do they think they can build the wall in a day if they offer enough sacrifices? Look at those charred stones they are pulling out of the rubbish and using again. Tobiah the Ammonite, who was standing beside him, remarked, That stone wall would collapse if even a fox walked along the top of it. Then I prayed, Hear us, O our God, for we are being mocked. 
May their scoffing fall back on their own heads, and may they themselves become captives in a foreign land. Do not ignore their guilt. Do not blot out their sins, for they have provoked you to anger here in the presence of the builders. At last the wall was completed to half its original height around the entire city, for the people had worked very hard. But when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs, Ammonites and Ashdodites heard that the work was going ahead and that the gaps in the wall were being repaired, they became furious. They all made plans to come and fight against Jerusalem and to bring about confusion there. But we prayed to our God and guarded the city day and night to protect ourselves. Then the people of Judah began to complain that the workers were becoming tired. There was so much rubble to be moved that we could never get it done by ourselves. Meanwhile, our enemies were saying, Before they know what's happening, we will swoop down on them and kill them and end their work. The Jews who lived near the enemy came and told us again and again, They will come from all directions and attack us. So I placed armed guards behind the lowest parts of the wall in the exposed areas. I stationed the people to stand guard by families, armed with swords, spears, and bows. Then as I looked over the situation, I called together the leaders and the people and said to them, Don't be afraid of the enemy. Remember the Lord, who is great and glorious, and fight for your friends, your families, and your homes. When our enemies heard that we knew of their plans and that God had frustrated them, we all returned to our work on the wall. But from then on, only half my men worked, while the other half stood guard with spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail. The officers stationed themselves behind the people of Judah who were building the wall. The common laborers carried on their work with one hand supporting their load and one hand holding a weapon. All the builders had a sword belted to their side. The trumpeter stayed with me to sound the alarm. Then I explained to the nobles and officials and all the people, The work is very spread out and we are widely separated from each other along the wall. When you hear the blast of the trumpet, rush to wherever it is sounding. Then our God will fight for us. We worked early and late, from sunrise to sunset, and half the men were always on guard. I also told everyone living outside the walls to move into Jerusalem. That way they and their servants could go on guard duty at night as well as work during the day. During this time none of us, not I nor my relatives nor my servants nor the guards who were with me, ever took off our clothes. We carried our weapons with us at all times, even when we went for water. You're listening to The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. Nehemiah 5. About this time, some of the men and their wives raised a cry of protest against their fellow Jews. They were saying, we have such large families. We need more money just so we can buy the food we need to survive. Others said, we have mortgaged our fields, vineyards, and homes to get food during the famine. And others said, we have already borrowed to the limit on our fields and vineyards to pay our taxes. We belong to the same family, and our children are just like theirs. Yet we must sell our children into slavery just to get enough money to live. We have already sold some of our daughters, and we are helpless to do anything about it, for our fields and vineyards are already mortgaged to others. When I heard their complaints, I was very angry. After thinking about the situation, I spoke out against these nobles and officials. I told them, you are oppressing your own relatives by charging them interest when they borrow money. Then I called a public meeting to deal with the problem. At the meeting, I said to them, 
The rest of us are doing all we can to redeem our Jewish relatives who have had to sell themselves to pagan foreigners. But you are selling them back into slavery again. How often must we redeem them? And they had nothing to say in their defense. Then I pressed further. What you are doing is not right. Should you not walk in the fear of our God in order to avoid being mocked by enemy nations? I myself, as well as my brothers and my workers, have been lending the people money and grain. But now let us stop this business of loans. You must restore their fields, vineyards, olive groves, and homes to them this very day. Repay the interest you charged on their money, grain, wine, and olive oil. Then they replied, We will give back everything and demand nothing more from the people. We will do as you say. Then I called the priests and made the nobles and officials formally vow to do what they had promised. I shook out the fold of my robe and said, If you fail to keep your promise, may God shake you from your homes and from your property. The whole assembly responded, Amen! And they praised the Lord. And the people did as they had promised. I would like to mention that for the entire twelve years that I was governor of Judah, from the twentieth until the thirty-second year of the reign of King Artaxerxes, neither I nor my officials drew on our official food allowance. This was quite a contrast to the former governors who had laid heavy burdens on the people, demanding a daily ration of food and wine besides a pound of silver. Even their assistants took advantage of the people. But because of my fear of God, I did not act that way. I devoted myself to working on the wall and refused to acquire any land. And I required all my officials to spend time working on the wall. I asked for nothing, even though I regularly fed 150 Jewish officials at my table, besides all the visitors from other lands. The provisions required at my expense for each day were an ox, six fat sheep, and a large number of domestic fowl. And every ten days we needed a large supply of all kinds of wine. Yet I refused to claim the governor's food allowance because the people were already having a difficult time. Remember, O oh my God, all that I have done for these people, and bless me for it. You're listening to The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. Nehemiah 6 When Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem the Arab, and the rest of our enemies found out that I had finished rebuilding the wall, and that no gaps remained, though we had not yet hung the doors in the gates, Sanballat and Geshem sent me a message asking me to meet them at one of the villages in the plain of Onno. But I realized they were plotting to harm me, so I replied by sending this message to them. I am doing a great work. I cannot stop to come and meet with you. Four times they sent the same message, and each time I gave the same reply. The fifth time Sanballat's servant came with an open letter in his hand, and this is what it said. Geshem tells me that everywhere he goes, he hears that you and the Jews are planning to rebel, and that is why you are building the wall. According to his reports, you plan to be their king. He also reports that you have appointed prophets to prophesy about you in Jerusalem, saying, Look, there is a king in Judah. You can be very sure that this report will get back to the king. So I suggest that you come and talk it over with me. My reply was, You know you are lying. There is no truth in any part of your story. They were just trying to intimidate us, imagining that they could break our resolve and stop the work. So I prayed for strength to continue the work. 
Later, I went to visit Shemaiah, son of Delaiah, and grandson of Mehetabel, who was confined to his home. He said, Let us meet together inside the temple of God and bolt the doors shut. Your enemies are coming to kill you tonight. But I replied, Should someone in my position enter the temple to save his life? No, I won't do it. I realized that God had not spoken to him, but that he had uttered this prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. They were hoping to intimidate me and make me sin by following his suggestion. Then they would be able to accuse and discredit me. Remember, O my God, all the evil things that Tobiah and Sanballat have done. And remember Noadiah the prophet and all the prophets like her who have tried to intimidate me. So on October 2nd, the wall was finally finished, just 52 days after we had begun. When our enemies and the surrounding nations heard about it, they were frightened and humiliated. They realized that this work had been done with the help of our God. During those 52 days, many letters went back and forth between Tobiah and the officials of Judah. For many in Judah had sworn allegiance to him because his father-in-law was Shechaniah, son of Arah, and because his son Jehohanan was married to the daughter of Meshulam, son of Berechiah. They kept telling me what a wonderful man Tobiah was, and then they told him everything I said. And Tobiah sent many threatening letters to intimidate me. Nehemiah 7 After the wall was finished, and I had hung the doors in the gates, the gatekeepers, singers, and Levites were appointed. I gave the responsibility of governing Jerusalem to my brother Hanani, along with Hananiah, the commander of the fortress. For he was a faithful man who feared God more than most. I said to them, Do not leave the gates open during the hottest part of the day. And while the gatekeepers are still on duty, have them shut and bar the doors. Appoint the residents of Jerusalem to act as guards, everyone on a regular watch. Some will serve at their regular posts, and some in front of their own homes. End of reading, Nehemiah 3, 1 through 7, 3. Tonight's reading from the book of Nehemiah. And don't forget as well, our wisdom and worship segment. What I like about this psalm tonight, this beautiful Psalm 92. And my favorite part was verse 14. Even in old age, it says, they will still produce fruit. That is the godly, those who walk with the Lord. They will remain vital and green and fresh. I like that as a promise for the Lord. I've been walking with him now well over 50 years since I came to know the Lord. We are only as old as we feel, and the Lord would give us strength and energy and enthusiasm for life. Even in our later years, we can produce fruit for the glory and honor of our great and loving God. Now, one thing you can keep an eye on in these readings from the book of Nehemiah keep an eye on his prayers. There are nine of them interspersed throughout the book of Nehemiah. Nine moments when Nehemiah just takes a quick moment to pray. In the first chapter, he gets this bad news about Jerusalem. The city is still in the same shape that it was back in 586. So he prays, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of unfailing love with those who love him and obey his commands. Nehemiah loves the Lord, and he loves this legacy, this heritage of faith in worshiping the true and living God. And so he lifts up a prayer for his city, the city of Jerusalem. Then God opens a door for him 
to speak to the great emperor himself. Nehemiah is the cupbearer, which is a very powerful, trusted position in the realm. He was a food taster and the wine taster so that anyone trying to poison the emperor, he would find out first. He would be the one poisoned. Artaxerxes, the great emperor Artaxerxes, sees him looking sad and says, what's going on? What's your problem? And he talks to him about Jerusalem and his city. The gates are burned and the walls have been torn down. And the emperor says, how can I help you? With a prayer to the God of heaven, he said, I replied. You know what it's like, some panicky moment, some crisis that comes upon you, and you lift up a prayer to the Lord. You don't have much time. Well, that's what uh, Nehemiah did. Now, when we got into our reading tonight, you see that he has a great deal of opposition. Some of these local officials and others who had power in the realm, they were threatened by Jerusalem's walls being reestablished, Jerusalem being protected again by these walls. They tried to intimidate. They tried to distract Nehemiah from the task. They lie about him, character attacks. And in the midst of all of those, he lifts up these prayers to the Lord. We can learn from that wonderful example of taking our troubles, taking our problems to the Lord and not being distracted, not being discouraged, but continuing on faithfully serving the Lord. It's so interesting to see the ways that Sanballat and these uh, Tobiah and these others are trying to distract, trying to interrupt, trying to keep this wall from being built uh, and Jerusalem from being restored, uh, even to the point of trying to call meetings. That's so funny because I tell you, meetings can be such a detriment to ministry. I, I know that for a fact. Sometimes I just have to say no to meetings. I just can't do that. There's too much work to do to come out and have a meeting with you. Remember now that this is about God's provision. And remember how God has used Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, Ezra, Nehemiah, now Esther. Later on we'll read about Esther and Mordecai. God is using and giving favor to the people of Israel in the minds and in the realms of these godless emperors. And he's using them to bring about his perfect purposes, his redemptive plan. See you next time. The Bible Live is dedicated to helping promote spiritual revival across America. And your prayers and financial support are needed. Please mail your tax-deductible gift to The Bible Live, Post Office Box 18888. That's The Bible Live, P.O. Box 18888, San Antonio, Texas. 78218. You may also make credit card donations at the ministry website, thebiblelive.com. Now don't forget, join us each weekday for the Bible Live with Soapy Dollars. Start today and in one year's time, we will read and respond together to the entire Bible. Let the most important word you hear each day be God's word.